0: I'm Kathy Joseph, otherwise known as Kathy Loves Physics, and welcome to my second podcast of A Bit of Historical Context, where I give a bit of historical and scientific context to an issue that is interesting to one of my guests, and hopefully interesting to one of my guests. Today, I have my lovely guest, Alexis Dahl. Did I say your last name correctly? You did. You nailed it. The only name I will get correct today as there you... you go. Excellent. Would you like to introduce yourself? Alexa? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Alexa Stahl. Hi. I am a
1: science communicator and video producer. And I make videos about geology and other kinds of science and history. And most of those stories center around the place I live, which is the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is this gorgeous, relatively little known place
0: with some of the coolest geology in the world.
1: I feel like I should say if you're interested in that, my YouTube channel is just my name. So I'm pretty easy to track down.
0: Wonderful, and we will have a link down below, I think, unless I mess up the technology, in which case we will have a link later on once again to her website. And I've watched some of the videos and I really enjoyed them. Oh, thank you. So I thought you would might be interested in learning a little bit about the history of how we figured out the age of the earth mm-hmm. and how it's connected to geology in sort of unusual ways. Cool. And it's mostly going to be about a guy named Ernest Rutherford. Have you heard of him before?
1: I am somewhat familiar with Rutherford, but I feel like you say that name and my brain is like my 10th grade chemistry class. Yeah. It's like, that's what I can
0: produce. It's <laughs> to do with the nucleus. He discovered yeah, it, the nucleus. Okay, so, that's why. And many, many other things. But I'm not going to start with him. I want to start with about 40 years before he was born okay. and a geologist named Charles Lyell L-Y-E-L-L, I'm even cheating and looking down. Because the year is 1830, and Lyell published this very influential book on geology. And the reason it was influential is all had to do with time. Lyell said, look, I think geological processes happen in the past at the same rate they happen now. Okay. And that most geological processes happen slowly. There's very few catastrophic events and they're not the main reason you have a mountain or you have a valley or you have these things here. Okay. And this was very different than the sort of catastrophism, is what it was called. Everything on the flood and Noah's Ark. Okay. And one of the big things it meant was that you need the earth to be really old because mm-hmm. the processes are going slowly, and mostly it's from the slow processes, really old earth. And he basically just said, I mean, when people asked him how old the earth was, he's like, however old it needs to be. Fair enough. was <laughs> like, you know, that isn't my job, but I'm just saying, if it takes this long, then it takes this long. People are like, 10 million? He's like, sure, 10 million. They're like, what? <laughs> he's like, sure, 100 million. He didn't bother him at all. It did bother physicists who are like, no, 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 you can't just say it lasts as long as it will. But it influenced, so he directly influenced the guy who I guarantee you've heard of, but I guarantee you didn't know was a geologist. Oh, interesting. And I'm not trying to trick you. Yeah. I'm trying to say you were going to be surprised. Cool. Do you have any guess who was a geologist who is a scientist in the 1800s who I guarantee you heard of?
1: I feel like I would just be
0: taking a random guess. So tell me more. Well, let me tell you whose name was. Okay. Charles Darwin. Oh, you're right. See, I would not have guessed that. Right. Charles Darwin, the year after Lyell published, got a job to go on a boat called the Beagle. Okay. To do both geological studies and studies of fauna and flora and what have you.
1: Why do I only know about the biology side of the story?
0: Well, first he published his journal into research. He wrote it down in 1845. He published the Journal of Researches into Geology and Natural History. Okay. But this study created this idea. His travels and his thoughts about natural history made him come up with the idea of On the Origin of Species.
1: Ah, in other words, yeah.
0: he came up with evolution because of his trip. Studying Geology and Natural Phenomenon in the 1830s, and he publishes in 1859. And this also needed a long old Earth. Mm -hmm. And so that inspired the geology, and especially Darwin's theory, made some scientists go, "Okay, we really need to figure out how old the Earth is. So we can disprove them.
1: Oh, why were they coming from a lens of like, we need to disprove this versus just, we need to learn more. Because they
0: thought it was anti-religious.
1: Ah, okay. Anti-Christian specifically? Anti-Christian
0: specifically. Cool. Um, Because in arguments, you could say it was anti-Jewish or anti-Muslim, but there weren't very many Jewish and Muslim scientists who were listened to. In the mm. 1800s, especially coming up. This was specifically to England. Got it. Okay. England was where Darwin was. England was where Lyell was from. But this was the area where everyone was debating this. Gotcha. Okay. There was also another Englishman. Gosh, and now his name is escaping my head. And he started a magazine called Nature. Oh, like the like nature? nature? Yes. Okay. Norman Lockyer. Okay. Okay. Who is delightful. I love Norman Lockyer. One of the things I loved about him is when he published informal papers, he would be the most informal person I've ever read. <laughs> he would just be like, I was really surprised when I found this. So I called my wife in and had her double check. And she <laughs> said I was right. And I was so surprised. Four exclamation points. <laughs> I've never seen a published paper with multiple exclamation points before. No, that's like the opposite of how I was taught to write papers. Yes, yes, yes. He was the most informal, delightful person. I just loved him. And in fact, I made a video about him and he was an astronomer. Okay. Actually, he was completely amateur astronomer. Cool. He was working for the government in England and he was on a train and his friend said, I bought a telescope, but I'm never using it. And he said, oh, I've always wanted to look at a telescope. So he starts looking at the telescope, joins astronomy clubs, and eventually discovers the layer of the sun and discovers helium in the sun. Oh, my gosh. He becomes huge. His books are bestsellers, and they're really well written, even though they have lots of exclamation points. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Helps it, because his informality. And he didn't have a formal education in science at all. He was a linguist for the government. Oh huh. then he asked his publisher if he could start a science magazine because he was working for another one that fell apart. Okay, and They said, OK. And he was good friends with all of these people, including Darwin and this guy who they called Darwin's Bulldog, who okay. kept pushing Darwin's theories. So everyone went published in Nature. But all these arguments were sort of debated in Nature magazine Okay, because he was promoting it. So one of the people who didn't like Darwin's evolution and didn't like geology taking too long was a physicist named Sir William Thompson. Okay. And Sir William Thompson was later ennobled, not knighted. Knighted is when you get the sir. Ennobled Mm. is when you get nobility to be called Lord Kelvin.
1: Ah, okay. Temperature. Do you know where the Kelvin thing came from? Yes. Okay.
0: So... William Thompson, a.k.a. Lord Kelvin, mm-hmm. he wrote a paper in, I'm not 100% sure of the year. I'm thinking okay. it's 1849, where he read this other thing about this French scientist named Carnot. Okay. who had these theories of heat, and he used those theories to say there is an absolute minimum temperature. Mm-hmm. And Thompson wasn't the first person to say this. Hmm. But he was the first person to say it was negative two hundred and seventy-three degrees below zero. Okay. Way back then. Yeah. So that's why they named the Kelvin scale after him. Mm-hmm. But it's very confusing because all of his work for most of his life is known under the name William Thompson, which is yeah. an unfortunately common name in England mm-hmm. of Thompson's coming up. Yeah. And, and so it does make it confusing. But yeah, that's why he's named after Calvin and he was big person in the history of thermodynamics the history of heat flow okay makes sense when he decided to figure out how old the earth was he used heat flow Uh he said okay let's say the earth started as a giant ball of fire and then it's cooling down which is not a bad assumption not a bad assumption at all he was an excellent scientist cool yeah made some mistakes but an excellent scientist and everyone does and with this method he predicted the Earth was between 20 and 40 million years old. And so he's like, okay, geologists, okay, Darwin, you're all wrong. <laughs> I have like, spoken. I have spoken the Earth is not old enough. <laughs> okay. And when he did this first was in 1862. But he was an incredibly popular and prominent scientist. Like I said, mm-hmm. he was given ennobled and stuff like that yeah, in yeah. 1892. So he was still a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so that was the big conflict. Physicists said the earth is really young or relatively really young. Mm -hmm. Biologists or evolutionary biologists and geologists said, "Uh uh-uh, the earth is as old as we need it to be. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And there was nobody saying, hey, there's a physics reason to say the earth is not as old as it needs to be. The Mm -hmm. earth is old enough that your ideas could be valid. Okay, gotcha. And that brings us to Ernest Rutherford.
1: Okay. Also, that was a really lovely introduction. I feel very caught up now.
0: Okay, great. I'm glad you do. Oh, yeah. Because I was forgetting Norman Lockyer's name, and I feel bad because he's one of my favorites. Some people study history, and they're a bit dispassionate about the people they're talking about. Yeah. I have my favorites. I have my people that I'm disappointed in. I have my people I hate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people are people. People are complicated. They're not, you know, yes. objects.
0: I just feel like once I read their words, especially their letters, their I find mm-hmm. out their stories. I feel like I know them. Oh, sure. Sort of know them in an internet way. Like you have a friend that you know on the internet. I don't know everything about them. I yeah,
1: yeah. Like I know, know you as you're presenting yourself in this way.
0: Right. Idiosyncrasies come out. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff I love, especially Ernest Rutherford. He was quite idiosyncratic. Okay. So with him, I would like to start in 1894 when Ernest Rutherford was 23 years old and was a science teacher in New Zealand, where he was from. Okay. And he asked his girlfriend, Mary Newton, to marry him. Okay. And this is the most important event of his life, the most important event towards The development of science. This is the pivotal moment. Interesting. Okay. She said no. She said it would be idiotic. Oh, no. No, it's not oh, no, actually. Oh, okay. Don't worry. Because the reason she said it would be idiotic is not because she didn't love him. Okay. But because she did love him. She said it would be idiotic to marry you because if I marry you, you will stay a bad high school teacher here forever. Okay. smart to do that and too bad a teacher. She didn't add that but oh. according to the students he was quite bad. Oh, And you need to do something with your life. I will wait. You do it. I'll wait for you. Okay. And so he did and then very next, it turns out she was prophetic. Hmm. The very next year okay. there was a scholarship from England. So years before Queen Victoria had had this big jubilee. Okay. And they ended up making a lot more money than they spent, Hmm. which is startling, but they did. Cool. So they used the extra money for different things. As far as I understand, if you've ever been to England and been to the Prince Albert Museum,
1: Mm, I have not been. I should go though.
0: Here, it's awesome. Yeah. They made that because of the extra funds. From the, the oh. understanding. Okay. But also, they made a scholarship so that people living in the English, who are under the English banner, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the English Commonwealth, mm. okay. if yep. they were white and male, of course, could get a scholarship to travel and study science. Okay. And every other year, New Zealand and Australia alternated who wow. got the scholarship. Okay. So the next year, it was New Zealand's turn and Rutherford was one of two people who applied for the scholarship. Whoa. And he lost. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> but this is why Mary's rejection of the marriage was so important, because okay. it turned out that the guy got engaged to a woman who wasn't worried about her boyfriend not fulfilling his sure. Destiny, and that invalidated the contract. Oh. He was allowed to go as a single man, not mm-hmm. as a married man. Okay. So it went to Rutherford. Supposedly, Rutherford was digging potatoes at the time. And he threw down the thing and said, that is the last potato I will ever dig. (laughs) That's (laughs) iconic. I love it. Isn't it great? Yeah, he was from this huge family. His dad was Scottish, and his mom was English. And they moved to New Zealand to, as he put it, Raise a little flax and a lot of children. Oh boy. I think he was one of 14 children. Oh. I mean, just this huge family. Mom was just like, education, education, education. Cool. Oh. And he was, we were too poor, so we had to think. Is- mm. And so he kept on getting scholarships. But then once he was done with school, the only thing he could think of was being a teacher. He said he struggled a little bit. Not because he wasn't nice, just with discipline. The students would go crazy and then sneak out, and then someone else would distract him with some science question while everyone filed back in and he would never notice. Or if what? he disciplined them, they would just start asking him about stuff and he would just start going off, and then they, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Oh, and then he actually so hit them with a switch, as you would do at the time. Oh. And they just said it was madness. It kind of reminds me of when I was a high school teacher. <laughs> Man. Except no hitting with switches, but definitely easily distracted. Sorry, all my students. I taught high school for many years and discipline was not my forte.
1: It's hard. I am not a teacher, but I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. And I'm like, that would be so difficult.
0: <laughs> it's sometimes delightful, but the whole discipline thing is, is not delightful. And yeah, apparently Rutherford didn't like it either. He gets a scholarship and he decides to go to England because there's a guy in England named J.J. Thompson, another Thompson who's the head of Cavendish Labs. Okay. And as the new head of Cavendish Lab, J.J. Thompson decides to change all the rules and let foreigners come be grad students. Okay. Which before that, you had to go to Cambridge to go there. Oh, interesting. So Rutherford is one of the first group in the group of first people to get there. He gets there. He says, J.J. Thompson is not the least bit fossilized, but the other students treat him badly.
1: Oh, interesting. And the
0: Irish student badly Hmm. because you aren't proper English. Mm -hmm. Gosh, 18, I'm looking at the years. July 1895 is when the chemist doesn't get the scholarship. So this is late 1895 by the time he gets to okay. England. And he says, he writes Mary, is like, these people, I'm about to do a Maori war chant on their face. They don't That's very specific. <laughs> I just, I love this image of these uptight people being prejudiced against him for being from New Zealand. yeah. And Loses it and goes. Have you ever seen those Maori? that have. Yeah. Your eyes bug out. I just imagine they would freak out. It might be good for them. I think it would have been good for them. But what happened instead is a week later he gave a talk and he wrote his girlfriend again. He's like, after I gave that talk, everyone's trying to be nice to me now.
1: Oh ho, ho ho! How the tables
0: turn. Right. They realize now. Right when he arrived. Right afterwards, the X-ray was discovered. Okay. And everyone went crazy. Okay. Everyone took out, it's funny, that's what I was talking about x-rays last time. Yeah. Everyone took out their x-ray machine. start studying x-rays. J.J. Thompson tells Rutherford, stop studying radio waves, because that's what we were studying before. I, for a week or two, Rutherford mm-hmm. actually had the world record for the longest radio signal. Huh. I mean, it was one of those things where one person got one person got it. Yeah. J.J. Okay. Thompson's like, no. There's nothing interesting in radio. What you should focus on is x-rays, studying the electrical effects of x-rays. X-rays can electrify the air. You should study that. Hmm. So he starts studying that. Meanwhile, by the way, J.J. Thompson realizes that the tube that makes the Mm x-rays was actually made of a beam of electrons. He Ah. discovers that they're microscopic um, subatomic particles that are charged. Okay, cool. He doesn't call them electrons, but they're quickly called electrons.
1: Oh, neat. At
0: the same time. Because, okay. Partially because of the discovery of the x-ray. Yeah. So there is Rutherford studying x-rays and electrify. And then Rutherford reads about radioactivity coming out of France. Okay. So right after the x-ray is discovered, there's a guy in France named Henri Becquerel. And Henri liked to study fluorescence and phosphorescence cool when you shine light on it it glows
1: yeah yeah cool stuff
0: yeah cool stuff and he was like wow if cathode rays mm-hmm. i.e. beam of electrons okay. can make fluorescence glow and cathode rays can make x-rays maybe fluorescent materials can make x-rays interesting okay yeah so he happened to pick up fluorescent uranium and oh. I think, take a moment to pause how many materials are fluorescent or phosphorescent?
1: Right. It's People a big selection.
0: Randomly picked uranium. Oh, huh. Every once in a while it's worth I think um, to take a moment and pause and think about how discoveries are so hinge on these weird little coincidences.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah. Was it purely random with uranium? Is there a lot of uranium? Okay. I didn't know if there's like a lot floating around at that
0: time. father was a scientist who studied fluorescence and phosphorescence. And he also studied phosphorescence and fluorescence. So it's possible. I'm not sure I don't study phosphorescence, but I know there's plenty of them. So I think as far as I could tell, when he published, he didn't say, I was thinking of this. Mm. He just said, I thought if cathode rays make fluorescence grow and cathode rays make x-rays, Maybe fluorescence will make x-rays. So he takes this uranium, puts it in the sunlight on a film that's wrapped in paper. And yes, it develops it. Cool. this is great. Publishes it. Then three days later, he makes some uranium. Turns out the uranium, he had to make it in a chemical Mm. process to make it fluorescent. Okay. It only lasted a little while.
1: Mm.
0: And it wasn't sunny. Okay. And the next day wasn't sunny. And the next day wasn't sunny. He's like, oh, great. Now it's not as... Fine. I'll just develop the film as a baseline to compare. Oh, sure. Yeah. Guess what happened? Just as bright. Uranium made these rays develop things without any sunlight to absorb, without glowing at all. Interesting.
1: Okay.
0: Uranium itself. They first started calling it uranium rays. Mm. He discovered that uranium emits something that can go through paper, develop film, and he also, found that uranium, like x-rays, can electrify the air a little bit. Hmm. Now this was, I'm looking up the date, that was May of 1896. Okay. The very next year, Marie Sklodowska-Curie gave Hmm. birth to her daughter. Okay. And her husband said, look, you help me get my PhD. It's your turn. Okay. You have to do something to get your PhD. Yeah. My dad will help take care of our kid. And he did. Cool. Yeah, I know. And you need to study something. And she was reading the papers and she read about the uranium rays. Mm -hmm. And she knew that her husband and his brother had discovered something called piezoelectricity. Okay. Pressure can create electricity for certain materials. Electricity can create pressure for certain materials. And so her husband, Pierre Curie, had built a very, very sensitive electric meter Oh, cool. effect. Okay. the world's most sensitive electric meter so she's like oh what i'll do is study the uranium with my husband's electrically instead of having it develop film neat yeah so there's a way of saying how radioactive something is okay do you see what i mean if it develops it's just a yes no right if it's this so- machine you know how radioactive something is
1: yeah totally and I mean, especially if you're going to do further research, knowing what kind of scale and, and quantities you're dealing with is going to be huge.
0: You have to have a scale, right? So she puts it on this thing. She first started using uranium. She says it's not chemical. Doesn't matter what temperature it is. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you mix with. It's just how much uranium it has is how many uranium rays it makes. So okay. she starts studying every material she can find. And she discovers that thorium also makes these rays. Okay, but unfortunately, right as she's publishing, someone else finds that thorium also makes ah. rays. But she publishes it because she says this way will tell you how radioactive it is—an oh, expression perfect. that she made up. Cool. We call it radioactive because she liked that term.
1: Huh? Me? I did not realize that.
0: Yes. Oh, cool. So that is the paper that Rutherford read. Okay. And then, mind you, while she's doing this, I should probably add up. She's playing with this and she starts taking every item she can and seeing how, if it's radioactive, mm-hmm. she can't find anything else. Okay. But fair. then she's studying uranium ore, which is a mix of uranium and other things. Okay. And it's more radioactive than pure uranium. Oh. And she's like, there's something hidden in there. Yeah. we've never seen before. Okay. So her husband quits what he's doing to act as her assistant. And they start doing every chemical process they can possibly think of to this uranium ore to see if it's more radioactive and to isolate what they've got. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they do is they discover polonium, which is named after her home country of Poland. Oh, cool. And then the next one they find is there's another thing hidden in that same uranium ore, which they call radium.
1: Ah, okay. I just finished reading The Radium Girls, so I was wondering when that was going to come up.
0: I couldn't make it past page, like, two. Yeah. I was, like, it was too brutal. I'm like, that's like, and then her jaw, I'm like, yep. Yeah, I was going to describe it as, like, a very dark book,
1: which it is, but it's also just deeply disturbing because it's nonfiction.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm told there's a YA version of the book. Oh. Which might be a little bit easier for me to deal with without getting so sad. Yeah. I still think I'd get sad. I'm too sensitive. All that to say. Yeah. She didn't know that it was dangerous. In fact, she talked about how beautiful it was to work among the fairy glow of radium. And would carry one piece in her pocket Mm. all the time. Yeah. It makes me very anxious just listening to uh, reading about it. Yeah. I just didn't know. But anyway, Rutherford hears about it. Okay. It's like, that's fascinating. I want to study these, which were now called Becquerel rays. Ah, okay. For Becquerel, who discovered the uranium, Mm -hmm. I want to study these Becquerel rays the same way I've been studying the X ray. They're similar. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put it on a similar scale, but I'm not going to do anything chemical because I'm not a chemist. Okay. I'm going to do something physics. I'm going to put this on a scale where I can measure how much electricity it makes and then block it with thin pieces. Of gold Uh and seeing how it affects the strength how powerful these rays are okay sure so he starts putting these things and as he puts layers of gold the amount of electricity he gets goes down 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 and then after a while it stops going down okay and he's like oh my gosh there are at least two kinds of radiation Hmm. one that can make it through thin pieces of gold and aluminum okay one that can't okay i see i follow And he called the one that was easy to block for the Greek letter for A, alpha. Oh. And the one that was harder to block for the Greek letter for B, beta.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. I've heard of that.
0: Yes, yes. That's where alpha radiation and beta radiation came from. And a little later, it was discovered there's a third kind. It's called gamma radiation. Mm -hmm. Okay. It took a little while to figure that one out. And and Rutherford ended up naming gamma as well. He wrote a paper later on that said, there's alpha, there's beta, and there's gamma, and everyone's like, "Okay, you're probably right. Let's <laughs> use." But anyway, Fair enough. Yeah. So he publishes this, and he ends up actually writing letters to Curies. They become sort of pen pals, friends, oh, friendly. Yeah. And he finishes his grad school, and he's like writing to his girlfriend still, <laughs> who's still waiting to get married. <laughs> oh, what a jam! That they're both delightful. That he's trying to get a professorship but he doesn't think he can get one in England Hmm. because no one wants to hire him because he's from New Zealand. Mm, Okay. But then a person from Canada writes to his boss and says, we have an opening. And his boss says, well, I've never had anyone better than Ernest Rutherford. You should." Cool. So off he goes to Canada. Okay. So he's professor in Canada. And almost immediately when he gets there, He's approached by an undergraduate named Bobby Owens. Bobby says, I'm supposed to do a science project. What should I do? And Rutherford says, you know what you should do? You should do the same experiment I did with uranium, but do it with thorium. Okay. Just repeat it.
1: Yeah, sure. You know,
0: put the stuff there, put the little sheets, see that there's alpha and beta from Mm -hmm. other radioactive materials. Yeah, perfect. Guy goes back, comes back to him, and he says, there is something weird going on. <laughs> There's something really weird. I just put the thorium there mm-hmm. and the results, even without a sheet, are all over the place. Oh and if I open and close a door, I change the numbers. Huh. Which makes no sense, right?
1: Yeah. Like it's <laughs> I was going to say, like, excuse me, Rutherford, this was supposed to be a straightforward project. Uh, Right. What is happening?
0: This is supposed to be easy and it's not working. Hmm. And Rutherford's like, goes in there and figures out, yeah, it's not working. Hmm. Okay. What's happening is that it must be producing a radioactive gas. Oh. Maybe little powder that you can't see. Okay. The the instinct was it must be producing something that can move with the air. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And so what he does is, so they publish this and then they also do something which I thought was brilliant. They take a little bit of thorium oxide, they put it at the end of a long tube, where on the other end is a chamber with the electric meter. Then they use filtered air to blow air over the thorium so that the gas that they're making goes into the chamber. Oh, that's so smart. Isn't it? And then they turn off the air and measure the radioactive gas. And what they found was really shocking because it would make electricity Mm -hmm. and the electricity would half in about a minute. Oh. What level it's at, it would Mm -hmm. always half its value about every minute. Okay. And they discovered in this way that radioactivity has a half life.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Also, like what a weird discovery that must have been.
0: Exactly. It's one of the joys of this job is that I get to answer questions I didn't know I had.
1: Okay. Yeah. That makes
0: sense. Like, how did we know electricity flows? What did we do with a battery before we had battery operated things? Yeah. Uh Like, what did you do with the first battery? What did you, and this one, like, how did they know that radioactivity worked in this way?
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: that's how they knew it because this particular gas happened to have a half life of like a minute.
1: Yeah, They could
0: clearly see it dropping by half every time, irrespective of how much material there was.
1: Yeah, it was thorium, right? Yeah, thorium. Also just really convenient they were working with that one. Because I'm just thinking like some elements have a half-life that's a four-digit number of years you'd never notice.
0: You'd never, ever know. And because it was the gas. Mm, yeah, right. Not, I mean, I think the gas helped it them understand this. Sure, sure. So they publish this. He actually gets in a bigoted argument with the Curies about this, but okay. eventually they agree he's right. And so uh, at the time, Rutherford, finally, I forgot to mention, when he gets to Canada, he finally gets to marry his girlfriend.
1: Oh, yay. Oh, good yeah. for them. I'm so glad that worked out. <laughs>
0: Me too. They had a very lovely, I think I wrote it down. He wrote her that he was going to have a swell lab to knock the shine out of the Yankees. But rejoice with me, my dear girl, for matrimony is looming in the distance.
1: Oh, also like what a lovely letter that must have been to get. Like, oh, finally. <laughs>
0: right. I'm startled when I read these things because we have these images of scientists being sort of dour mm, and really yeah. interested in science. Right. And of one personality type, right. Yeah, but I see such ranges in personalities and styles. And oh, yeah. Rutherford was a big, loud, pushy, and also deeply kind and less huh. person, yeah. unless you destroyed his equipment, which they mm-hmm. said he had a, a unfortunately long memory.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: He was very mad when people destroyed equipment and he didn't like theoreticians. But other than that, he was delightful. And he was also unusually delightful towards female students. Cool. When he got to Canada, he actually hired a woman named Harriet Brooks, okay. a graduate student. And she starts studying these thorium gas and discovers that she thinks its mass is different than the thorium. Ooh, okay, okay. One of the things she discovered. But she is not a chemist, she is a physicist. Mm-hmm. She also discovers that the thorium gas, I think it's called radon, and the thorium are do emit rays and alpha okay. and beta and alpha particles and gamma, beta particles and gamma rays as well. So everything radioactive makes these three things. Okay, okay. So 1899, he goes to McGill University in Canada. Okay. It's amazing. If you look up Rutherford's publications for 1899, 1900, 1901, mm-hmm. there's like 40 publications every year. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. It's astonishing how how prolific this guy was and how collaborative he was. He always put the other person's name in there. Okay. Bobby Owens, the reason we know his name is because he published with this undergrad. Okay. Was that just not a common thing to do no. at the time? And still today in physics. I was in grad school. If you helped your professor out with something, eh, sometimes you get your mm-hmm. name on it. And usually, if you did get your name on it, they would say, We're doing you a special favor by putting uh... your name on it, not, hey, you helped out a tiny bit.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: I came up with all the ideas. And also, like I said, he hired this woman when most universities wouldn't let women work there. I mean, I honestly cannot think of another physicist who published with a woman's name who wasn't married to or sleeping with the woman. Mm. It's kind of challenging. Wow. Is this possible. I mean, Marie Curie published with and Henri Becquerel eventually, Okay, but it's not the yeah. same thing. Right. Um, right. But anyway, another thing, very important thing happened, which was in March of 1901, Rutherford went to a debate about the existence of electrons because okay. chemists hated the idea and physicists loved it. We forget all these drama, but yeah. man, there's new ideas. There's resistance to the idea. And then there's people who love the idea. And the importance is it's not a bad thing that there's resistance to new ideas. Okay, sure. In my mind, it should be debated. It should be. And you have to convince people that your idea is good. So he was debating this, and he debated it with a chemist named Frederick Soddy. And Soddy not only lost the debate, he decided to work with Rutherford from then on. Oh, cool. I mean, what a good way to totally lose. It. So Soddy starts studying the radiation from these radioactive gas. Okay. Chemically, not... Physically, so he's trying to see if he can combine it with anything, Mm -hmm. and he's like, "This is non-reactive. This is noble gas. Okay, it didn't start off as a noble gas. Not only does it have a different mass, Mm -hmm. but it also reacts differently. Okay, formed into something else." huh yeah and he says i wrote it down i remember quite well this is frederick soddy he says i remember quite well standing there transfixed as though stunned by the colossal import of the thing and blurting out rutherford the thorium is disintegrating and transmuting itself into an argon gas rutherford replied for mike's sake soddy don't call it transmutation they'll have our heads off as alchemists (laughs) transformation (laughs) oh boy (laughs) so they've been trying for newton spent most of his time trying to be an alchemist and yeah. things of the people have been trying for forever turns out radioactivity things are transforming from one thing to another wild and with this half-life mm-hmm. of half-life of how long it takes to transform from one thing to the next thing so that is actually why rutherford won a nobel prize in chemistry which oh. he found very strange he's like well, I'm not a chemist, but I had a swell time.
1: Right. Like, thank you anyway. This is right. this medal
0: is nice. Exactly. The money is great. Oh yeah. He was eventually knighted. Oh, and okay. he told his daughter, he said, You now may now call me Sir Ernest, young lady. <laughs> That's like a very dad thing to do. <laughs> He was definitely a dad thing. And by the way, Harriet Brooks was by far not the only woman who worked for him. Okay. Like a dozen women who worked for him one time or another, and another couple dozen who said, thank you for your support and your help and your. I just wanted to point it out Mm because it's comforting to know that people could be decent to women scientists as well as
1: scientists.
0: Yeah. So he realizes that things are transforming from one thing to another. And he also has this theory that alpha particles are really helium. Nucle- well, he doesn't think they're nuclei because he hasn't discovered the nucleus yet. Ah, all right. but he thinks they're charged helium particles. Okay. He wasn't able to prove it yet, but he had a theory that they were helium. So he says, okay, if we look at a rock and we see how much helium is in it, mm. trapped in it, yep. versus how much of the parent, uh, how much of the radioactive material you have in there, You can determine using the half-life of uranium, because they figured this out by then, Mm -hmm. how old the rock is. Okay, cool. Totally makes sense. So he takes the rock. He figures out it's 40 million years old. He actually (laughs) wanders around campus, and he said to someone, hey, how old's the Earth? And the other Mm -hmm. person says, well, everyone knows the Earth is 20 million years old. Lord Kelvin told us. And he says, that's funny. This rock is 40 million years old. This rock (laughs) is twice as old as the Earth. I'm just imagining like Rutherford wandering around, just like pulling random students aside. Just what do you think about this rock? (laughs) Exactly. In fact, he ended up giving a talk in England and I wrote this one down and he was worried beforehand because Mm -hmm. guess who was going to be in the audience? Oh no. Lord Kelvin. Oh boy. So he said that he started giving the talk. He was very nervous, but then Kelvin just fell right asleep. Like literally? Yeah, during the talk. He's like, this is great. I'll just give my talk. He'll sleep through the talk. (laughs) No problem, right? Oh, all right. But then he said that I wrote it down because I wanted to get his language because Rutherford is delightful. This is what he said. I saw the old bird sit up, open an eye, and cocked a baleful glance at me. Then a sudden inspiration came and I said, "'Lord Calvin has limited the age of the earth, "'providing no new source was discovered. "'That prophetic utterance refers "'to what we are now considering tonight, radium. "'Behold, the old boy beamed upon me.'" Oh, wow. He's like, you said the earth wasn't old, but provided there wasn't anything new, but radioactivity adds more heat. Yeah. So don't worry, you're like prophetic. Right.
1: Like you're fine. Just go ahead. Keep keep having your snooze. Like you're you're doing all right
0: over there. But at the same time, the helium thing wasn't the greatest idea. And they start to try to study how these things, what they decay into. Oh, sure. And it was super confusing. Because they didn't know about the nucleus, oh, neutron, yeah. or isotopes.
1: Oh, yeah. That would be very confusing.
0: Very, very confusing. And in fact, Rutherford ends up discovering the nucleus in between 1908 and 1913. Okay. And then Soddy in 1913 creates the idea of isotopes. Oh, perfect. And then Rutherford creates the idea of neutrons in 1920. Okay. So it's all, together. it's all coming together, but they're still trying to figure it took till 1956 before they discovered how to use radioactive decay to get what we consider even close to modern estimate. of okay. The earth is, which is about four and a half billion years. Right. But that is how we know the minimum age of the earth.
1: Wild. Also, well done. Oh, just- thank you. Yeah, I'm thinking about Rutherford's amazement of like, oh my gosh, this rock is 40 million years old. That's so old. And then skip ahead a couple of decades. And it's like, oh yeah, four and a half billion.
0: Right, right. No wonder you've easily found a 40 million year old rock. Right. It's a baby. It's a baby. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't particularly looking for an old rock. Sure. Like wanted something with radioactivity in it, figure out the age. It's also amazing when you stop to think about how crude their equipment was. Oh, yeah. It was basically cigar boxes and tin cans. And no wonder he got so upset when someone messed something up with his very basic equipment. I mean, even earlier, they had trouble because they couldn't buy insulated wire. Oh, man. If you've ever seen uh, pictures of Michael Faraday's experiments, Mm -hmm. they kept his equipment. And it looks like a mummy's because it's wrapped in cloth.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Because they did not have any advanced equipment to use.
1: Yeah. Can't just go online and contact your local supplier and have them right. send the technician
0: out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So which sometimes, strangely enough, ended up leading to new discoveries. Okay, sure. Because They had to build everything themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you discovered something new, like when Volta invented the battery, he sent the publication to England because he spoke many, many languages. Mm-hmm. Volta was Italian. Okay. The secretary at the Royal Society and his friend read it before it was published. He's like, let's do it. But they didn't have alligator clips.
1: Ah.
0: Uh, okay. So instead, they put their wires in salt water because saltwater is conductive. Oh. And then it turned out the wires in saltwater made one thing, both of the wires bubble. And one was bubbling hydrogen and one was bubbling oxygen.
1: Oh, amazing.
0: So that's how they found chemical that de- batteries, voltages, could create chemical decomposition.
1: Oh, cool.
0: And that led to a host of new elements being discovered. But oh. also, if they had had alligator clips, they might not have discovered right. it. Right, exactly. Oh, so have- um, that was my talk about the age of the Earth. If you are interested in the combination of science and history, you might want to check out my new book. The Lightning Tamers, which is coming out October 12th. And I'm going to have very, very exciting news, meaning that I think you will be able to read it before October 12th if you pre-order it. So there's a scan to join the Lightning Tamers waiting list by soon i mean like i was discussing with my tech person how to set this up before we gave this talk and we realized okay there's more technical difficulty i'm good with history and then you get me to the technology and i'm like how do i quit how do i <laughs> oh no oh no so We've had technical difficulties, but if you join the waiting list, you should be able to purchase it and read it within the next three or four days. Oh, cool. That's so soon. That's so soon. Oh my gosh. And then I'm going to have the unboxing video and then Ah. complain that I use my hands too much because I am so excited. I mean, I'm
1: glad you're excited. It's worth being excited about. A book is a big thing.
0: Right. Actually, this is the first of seven books that I've partially written. Oh, Okay, so
1: you're gonna have a lot of unboxing videos is what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the the Rutherford story is mostly gonna go in book three because that's gonna be about x-rays and radiation and stuff like that. Uh, You might have to wait a little while for that full story. So cool. Oh, well, good things come to those who wait. Right, there you go. Big thank you to my patrons. Make sure to check out Alexis's YouTube channel and check out my website, www.kathylovesphysics.com put on the board. Uh Anything
1: else you want to add? Um, no, I feel like I've learned a bunch from you. I'm super excited. You know, I'll be thinking about this as I'm working on my own geology related stories. I'm just really grateful that you were willing to let me in on this conversation and that I got to learn from you.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for coming and being so nice and generous. I'd be a guinea pig for the second podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe eventually I'll be more organized. You're just fine.
1: Okay. Bye.